Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real-life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, welcome to the show. Today, we've got James Sermons on from Gage Multifamily Services. They're a Texas-based multifamily contractor, general contractor. So we dive into some of the projects they've done all around Texas, Dallas, Austin, Houston, Colleen, Temple, you name it, markets all over Texas, dive into what they've seen work well for operators, uh, how to work well with a general contractor, how to get through your projects quickly and on budget and all that good stuff. So a little bit of a departure from talking to operators and talking with a, a contractor that's going to help, um, help, you know, you as an operator with your projects, or if you're an investor, help you understand how some of these capital improvement projects get done. Uh, so great conversation with James there. Before we dive into things quickly, if you uh, would like to see upcoming DJE deals and you're not currently set up in our investor portal, you can go to djetexas.com and get registered there for access. And if you are is an aspiring operator and you want to go out and run your own deals. We've got an ecosystem over at apartmenteducators.com that was built just for that. In fact, there's an eight part video series that I teach uh, at apartmenteducators.com that you can go check out for free. And then we've also got a whole setup of events around Texas on a regular basis. And you can plug into a network and basically get everything you need to go out and, uh, and be an operator. So that's at apartmenteducators.com. Okay, let's dive into this episode uh, with James. Here we go. James, welcome to the show. How are you? Good to have you. Excellent, excellent. Great to, great to be here. Yeah, so, so let's kind of uh, kick it off and, and walk folks through, uh, you know, what you're up to today with multifamily construction. But I also kind of want to back it up and, and learn about, you know, your career, where, where, where'd you, you know, how'd you get a, end up in this world of doing Texas multifamily stuff? Uh, maybe, maybe take it back a little bit for the audience with a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, my background, um, actually am from Florida, uh, jerk as I guess, you know, wasn't born in Texas, but got here as quick as I could. Florida man, Florida man, go love Gators. It. Um, yep. little shout out there. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, moved out here in 2011. My background is in landscape construction, so I ran a landscape construction company for a number of years. All right. Um, is that in Texas or in Florida? Actually in Florida. Okay. Moved out to Texas in 2011 to do that. Yeah. Um, kind of have always had a background in real estate. Okay. Uh, I did land development back in 2006 to 2009. Like uh, taking it up for single family developers or what was I worked for lands? a builder out of Melbourne, Florida. Um, so we did the land development work for there, so I learned a lot about just how real estate market worked, the builder market worked. Sure. Obviously the crash happened. So it was like, okay. Oh yeah. Gradu graduated college at that time too. So, um, so you're like, you're, you're working for a builder 2007, getting out of college. Yep. And the whole thing blows up. Boom. Yep. So what were you thinking when that happened? Um, crap. Yeah. Um, so I actually, so I graduated college. Um, I actually went to work for Disney for a little bit in their landscape. Huh? construction horticulture area making like 10 bucks an hour um because that's 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 what we did you know you had to figure it out so from there i decided you know what i'm gonna build my own company i knew enough about landscape construction and and, and maintenance that i wanted to just do my own thing so that's sure. what i did i went and did that moved to texas in 2011 real estate has always intrigued me um it was a little bit burnout with the whole landscape thing but i really wanted to get the real estate market real estate investing so 
um, didn't want to be a realtor or anything like that. I wanted to you know, fix and flips. So I actually got in the wholesale game in 2011. All right. I uh, worked for a wholesaler um, buddy of mine had a company and we did about 20 transactions a month. So I went and yep. knocked on doors, found dilapidated places, um, really looking at what the exit strategy, what the value I'd play would be with single family houses, fix and flips. Do we flip the contract? Do we, yep. you know, what is the investor's mindset of who I'm working with? Is this going to be a rental? Is this going to be a, a sale? What market was that in with the wholesale stuff? It was in Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. Good so, time for that, right? It was fantastic. No, oh. it was really good. Um, learned a lot. Uh, I remember my mentor, he was like, you're going to learn more about the real estate market in six months than you will. And, you know, being a realtor for X number of years. And he's, right. quite frankly, he was right. Met a lot of good connections. Yep. Um, that's kind of just like everybody's story of multifamily. It's scaled into, you know, about three, four years into that. I realized just the scalability of multifamily. Yeah. Um, just how it really transitions back to single family and just really just looking at the asset and figuring out what is the play here? How much yep. money are we going to need in order to meet the comps or to meet the ARV? Um, and so I found myself kind of with my operations background in the landscape world, um, getting into operations asset management of multifamily right uh, worked for a couple operators um worked for a general contractor currently today so um doing a lot of the same things looking at these assets looking at the value add play and figuring out what are we going to do in order to make this thing make money yeah yeah that's interesting i had kind of a similar experience doing a way too many single family projects but it did uh it did condition me you know, to really kind of understand how uh, we were going to pump capital and execute some improvements and what it was going to do to the value. And you kind of do that a hundred million times and it, it, it kind of <laughs> sinks into your bones. And now when we go buy a $30 million building, we're effectively doing the same thing, right? We're bigger capital budgets, but we're trying to drive the value through uh, making these properties nicer. hundred percent, hundred percent, definitely scalability. It's more, you know, even mental, right? Yeah, that's right. Things from a different perspective, different lens, different network. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, it really, it was, there's a lot of similarities, a lot For of sure. similarities to single family and scaling up. Yep. So tell me what, you know, what is Gage uh, Multifamily doing today and what kind of projects are you guys working on? Yeah, no, great. So uh, Gage Multifamily, we're a general contractor, value add general contractor based in Austin, Texas. Um, yep. We do work all throughout Texas. Um, we've even done some work out in Colorado, California, but mainly Texas general contractor, um, really looking at the projects from the value add and play from, you know, the syndication side of things and figuring out, okay, really understanding what that, you know, what is your business plan? And then how do we come in as a GC early on, work with you through that business plan, and then obviously formulate that planned execution. Right. Um, so that's 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 what we're doing here. Yes, I mean it's such a huge part of the process. I mean your property management company is a huge part of the process, but a lot of these value add deals, um, you're executing million plus capital improvement budget, a lot of money, which you know for 200 doors actually not that much, <laughs> right or whatever. But it's still it's still a big uh, you know a big big process. Um, what have you seen sponsors do well? you know, working with their GCs to, to get these projects where they need to be? I think our best projects are when our relation, when we, we get engaged as early and as often as possible. Sure. So when you guys are looking at the deal from the early onset of like, hey, I'm looking at San Antonio, I'm looking at 
you know, I want to understand what your criteria is. And if you can engage me early on, what that does, it allows me one, we're building a relationship. It's a very trust oriented business relationship business. You got to know who you're working with. You got to understand how you're communicating, how each other communicates, what people want, like, um, but even more importantly, but really just looking at the asset from an early onset and going through that process of how much money we're going to need in order to execute that plan. Because the last thing you want to be is to close on that deal and be short or not understand the dynamics of maybe the, um, especially w with what we're dealing with now with supply chain issues and, and, and right. um, labor issues. And if we can engage early on, we can combat that. We can set a better expectation for you, for your investors, just for the overall state of the project as a whole. Yeah. What is when you when you go into a new project, we kind of start with two buckets, right? Like exterior, interior, mm -hmm. you know, the bank's going to want to see we, we got seventy five hundred dollars a door for 100 units uh, to turn. And we kind of have that allocated with the bank and maybe and maybe a reserve account or future funding. And then we have, uh, you know, five hundred thousand dollars for exterior. And we kind of start with these broad assumptions going in and that all kind of boils down to we're going to spend 10 K a door on this on this project. Right. And then as we go through kind of our due diligence, we'll fine tune that are you know, what are you seeing on that fine tuning those buckets process when you're when you're working with clients to get that out, you know, to try to get that allocated as as yeah. well as you can on the front end. No, the bucket thing analogy, I, I actually go through that with my clients as well. We look at it, um, you know, if we're going through the due diligence period, which, you know, that's something that we advocate. If we can get in there on the due diligence and looking at that process, right? Um, I'm looking at it from that bucket perspective. Okay, are there are there safety? Is, is, is the place safe? Um, what are the lender requirements? What are the things we have to do on this property in order to get it livable, in order to get it satisfactorily conditioned to whatever the lender requirements are, et cetera, for just even just the tenant safety, right? Sure. Um, then we're looking at it and saying, okay, what type of cosmetic improvements do we need to do? What kind of things you mentioned exterior, interior? Well, if it's, you know, how do we drive people into the property? Well, let's, let's pop the exterior first. It's a fast renovation process. We usually can get it done a lot quicker than the interiors. Get people excited about the property. Get people excited about the change. Get the current residents excited about that change because that helps with renewals and, and things of that nature, right? People, are, you know, they can see what's going on on the outside versus the inside. Then we work our way into the inside. Love it. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of mind-boggling to me. Like, you go in and you do maybe a rebrand, monument sign in the office, and landscaping first. And then you turn one model unit. And then you have... 299 other units that maybe look bad, but nobody can see inside of them. Correct. So it's, it's like you've done a very small amount of work on some exterior stuff and maybe like walk path, you know, where somebody coming in, they, they meet the leasing agent and they get taken on a nice walk path to a model unit that's completely decked out and new furniture and everything. And then they lease a new renovated unit. And then you got, you know, a year to start, to continue to turn interior units. I, I just love that aspect yeah. of it. Nobody's going to see inside each other's units for the most part. Absolutely. Correct. So, and then obviously looking at amenities, you know, if, if it's, you know, based off of an area, maybe it's next to a school, maybe there's a lot of kids, you know, we're going through the DD process. We understand there's a lot of pets on the property. Well, are there amenities that, you know, pet parks and, and cleaning stations and just things that we can do to better amenitize the property, make people, 
feel like, hey, you know what? You're going to come at me with a rental increase. Like, I really feel like this is, you know, it, it, I feel like I'm getting value for that. Like, I, you can justify a $150 rent bump or a $100 rent bump, right? Um, so we want to cater, obviously, to the tenant profile. We want to cater to, you know, the area, the, the region that we're working in. Sure. We really want to cater to that and really understand that process. Yep. And just that, that group. Can we talk a little bit about uh, ba about bank draws? I mean, it's one of the more difficult processes, I think, of being an operator is, you know, the operator's got to pay you guys 250 k for X amount of work done, pay it, then get all the receipts, give it to the bank, and get reimbursed from the bank. And sometimes operators got to float that, you know. And if, as operators, you know, if, if you could just raise an extra million bucks, boy, that'd be easy. But now you're having to pay your equity partners on that. So that's kind of a balancing act. What have you seen work well, you know, to kind of get through that draw process? Um, I think, I mean, in terms of the, the draw, I guess, um, you know, we want to make sure you've got enough, you got enough in the operating reserve to start. Um, sure. I think, I think from a, from a raise perspective, going in and, you know, understanding what you're going to need, you need an extra two or $3 million raised in order to execute that plan. Um, because we want to get going as quickly as possible. We want to get there right. within the first two weeks. And again, it goes back to what I stated earlier with engaging myself early and, and as early as possible because we can develop that plan with you. We're going in, understanding exactly what the budget, the needs of the property are. Mm -hmm. And when we go to close on that property, we're ready to go two weeks afterwards. There's no right. surprises. There's right. no, you know, there's no misunderstandings. There's no mishaps. There's, I mean, I'm not saying mishaps, it's a big project, but there's, we limit the risk. We yeah. limit the risk for you and for your investors. And you don't want to waste time either. And you don't want to waste time. Time is money. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can't get, you know, the business plan is we got to get units online, you know, typically 30 to 45 days. If we're doing, you know, a pretty heavy interior turn, 30 to 45 days to get those up and running. So we got to take that into account. We've got units that are down. We don't want to drop occupancy. We drop occupancy. Then we have issues with lender requirements yep. and cash flow. And last thing we want to do is we want to be stuck in a, in a bad cash flow position to where we can't continue out that plan. And I, I do see that a lot happen. Yep. And business partners then have to sell or they, you know, it doesn't look good. Yeah, that's right. I mean, running out of money is any business's <laughs> biggest problem yep. uh, for the most part. What are you guys seeing right now with, you know, we're talking mid 2022 uh, inflation, I guess, is kind of the key word for everybody right now. Um, rates going up a little bit, uh, but, you know, rents going up, payroll going up, materials going up. How is that impacting you guys and you know how are you guys dealing with that right now um i think first and foremost yeah supply chain i mean that's, sure. that's one of the biggest things that i think that's the the that's been the word around the street for the past you know several months supply chain um i think we've got to be conscientious of what that actually is and we've got to make sure that we're again engaging and we're communicating that early on so we can write that into the underwriting process, you know, so that expectation is met and we understand that there's a hold time um, of not being able to get certain materials or, or things of that nature. I think as a contractor, it's important for me to be able to communicate and be upfront and be honest. I'd rather get bad news. You know, I'd rather like, I'd rather be upfront and honest about what's going on and what mm -hmm. trends we're seeing and being able to explain that early. 
you know, that way we can we can pivot, right? I mean, that's 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 key here is like how do we pivot? You know, we get bad news, let's pivot. Let's figure out how we can change. You know, we've got to alter some things we do. We got to come back on the budget a little bit. Maybe the dog park doesn't get as big as it did because we've got to now do something else with some of the units. Um, so I think, you know, being able to pivot. I also think that if you're in a, you know, a cash position to be able to buy as much as possible in terms of like materials, let's just take windows, for instance, windows right now are, you know, it's hard to find windows. Sure. So if we know of a product or a material that may be hard to find, let's, let's, let's buy a bunch in bulk, let's store it somewhere. The last thing you want to do is get to a point in your project where you don't have enough materials to keep going. Right. And then we're, we're at a standstill because we didn't order enough. And then now we have units sitting at 80% complete that I can't get online to rent, which then delays our business plan, which as you know, it's a, it's a downward spiral from that. Yeah, that's right. And it's frustrating when the, like the labor's ready to go. The money's there, just waiting on materials. 100%. And then what happens when the labor is ready to go, you don't have the materials? Well, then the labor moves to another project. Yeah. And then we got to pull the labor back over to the project. So, you know, just being conscientious of that. And I think just communicating and, and engaging as early on as possible so we all have a clear understanding of what those expectations are. Right. Um, is key. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see in operators? Is there a common trait of successful operators that you've worked with? You probably see a good cross section of different operators, different syndicators. What makes an operator successful from your perspective? Um, I, I tend to like to work with operators and that, that communicate well. Right. And, and again, I think that's, I mean, I know it's kind of a trend word, but you know, communication's everything. Right. Um, letting everybody know where we stand within the project, what are our needs, what are, what are our wants? Um, I think that's that's the biggest thing is just the open, the transparency, making sure that you know everybody is just communicating as a whole because it's it's a lot of moving parts, it's a lot of moving pieces. These are large assets that sure there's a lot of money on the line, and there's a lot of reputation. There's a lot of there's a lot of money. There's there's a lot there that you know if if, if something goes wrong, you know there's a lot of repercussions. That's right. Yeah, they're big project, big complex projects. Um, what are you seeing right now, I guess, trends in multifamily? Are there any interior upgrades that are, that are, I don't know, hot right now? I mean, it's pretty simple. You're renovating an 850-square-foot apartment. You're probably doing vinyl plank, two-tone paint, things like that. But, you know, is there anything you've seen in the last couple of years do, do well that tenants are attracted to? I mean, we're seeing a lot of the, uh, the tuxedo cabinets, the, you know, the blue-gray kind of mixed two-tone. That seems kind of mm. sharp. Yep. But, you know, as a whole, it's, it's a lot of rinse and repeat. You know, it's yes. looking at it from a budgetary standpoint and saying, okay, we basically have a bucket of $5,000, $8,000, $10,000 per unit. It's just figurative numbers. But, you know, we're doing based off of whatever that demographic is, you know, that sub-market or whatever. We're just going to go in and resurface counters and, two to, you know, gray vinyl flooring, two-toe paint, update some fixtures, and, you know, push rents $100, $150. So. Right. Um, there's no need to go in and say, well, let's do courts. And we're not living there. I'm not living there. It's a matter of providing what the market, what needs. The market needs. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so, you know, we're going to evaluate that. Sure. Um, you know, just in my background and what I've been able to do and our team, you know, really just evaluate that from an early on perspective. And, and 
you know, tell you exactly like what you're going to need to do in order to fulfill, you know, let's not, you know, this doesn't require stainless steel appliances, but you know what, maybe we need to put a little extra dollars into the cabinets and, and make those a little bit more functional and straight. And, you know, there's nothing worse than walking into an apartment complex and the, the doors are you know, <laughs> crooked. So, um, you know, those are just things that, you know, we can work with your team on and just really help them better understand, you know, market and yeah we take that asset yeah it's interesting how in some ways this business is quite simple in terms of just some interior renovations i mean you're definitely not um it's not a million dollar house flip where you're doing all this custom stuff it's it's pretty basic interior renovation what are you seeing um let's talk about markets you know you guys are, are in texas what are and, and you know you're in some of the big markets. What what are some of the maybe obscure markets that you're in or, or smaller smaller spots? Um, I, I mean I love tertiary markets and the fact that you know there's there's less competition, right? Right. Really, from California is going to DFW, Houston has become hot over the years. Sure. San Antonio's what number one of the top markets in the country as far as sure. workforce housing. Yep. Um, you know, I, I really like tertiary. Um, we've had a lot of experience in in Colleen, Waco. Um, as well as Wichita Falls, um, some of the uh, outside areas, even Oklahoma City, uh -huh. Tulsa. Um, I've, I'm seeing a lot of activity up in those markets. Uh, Little Rock has been hot. Um, I think nationally, just rents are a lot lower, and right. you know you've got a good, you got a good source of high, like high wage workforce, you know, workforce employees, warehouse job distribution. Mm -hmm. So I think the markets really support investors going into some of those markets and putting some dollars in to, you know, push rents to 300 bucks. Right. Right. Um, and I'm seeing that El Paso, El Paso has been kind of hot. We've had several deals um, that we've worked on over the past six months out there. Um, we've got one that we're working on here shortly. Um, but, um, you know, again, just, you're seeing a little bit of a dynamic shift in some of these other cities outside of DFW, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. You're seeing some tertiary markets pick up, and it's been good. Yeah. We did a project in Seguin a few years ago. I love that little city. Yeah. Basically like San Antonio. Yeah. But uh, I think there was like six assets in that market that were built before year 2000. So y there's like nothing for sale. Yeah. We, we bought like the only thing that was for sale. I'd, I would love to buy all of them if they came up, but uh, that was a great. Well, you great mentioned Seguin and it, you know, you're kind of seeing some of the, you're seeing some of that 35 corridor kind yes. of ridge. Yes. Um, you know, as Austin starts to get a little bit more expensive, you know, Northern San Antonio is starting to get really hot because you can live in, you know, you can work in Austin and live in Northern San Antonio. It's a 35, 40 minute drive. Right. Yeah. Far North. Not to mention the work from home aspect where people working from home for two to three days a week. Right. It's not far. It changes things. Yeah. So I think yeah. we're going to see a lot of that, this kind of infill happen between New Braunfels and, um, San Marcos and Austin and San Antonio. Yep. Yep. And even on up through Waco, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Even Temple, right? You guys do anything in Temple? Temple's, Temple's great. Yeah. We actually, um, a couple deals. Yeah. We worked on a couple deals in the Temple market. Yeah. So, like that, great hospital nearby, um, a lot of medical jobs um, that I've found. I mean, in terms of like product up in Temple, um, you know, there's, there's good medical jobs up there with high wages. There's just, there's no product. Yeah. And there's so, no we had a particular deal um, that closed about six months ago 
and that was the whole that was a whole play right there was two 2017 properties that were right next to the hospital but there was other than that there was nothing left and we knew that just from lease audit we knew that there was room to push rents you know a good 150 to 200 bucks but granted we would have to put a cap you know capex expenditure of what are these doctors, nurses, medical staff wanting to do, right? right. I mean, we got to compete with a 2017, but yet we're, you know, we're working on 1972. Okay, we're not going to get to that class A, but maybe we do go in with a higher end interior upgrade. Yeah, because we've got the client to support it. Yeah, it's all about catering to the market, right? Yeah. Not doing what you you want to do. It's what does the market support and demand, and yeah. what, do you, what can you just tee up to to make your uh, your leasing staff have an easier life, right? hundred percent. I think, you know, you just said it, it's like, you know, we got to understand w what our market demographic is and we got to cater to that. Right. Um, you know, it's, I see a lot. I mean, there's a lot of that happening. You know, I, uh, one of the things w just working in Houston, like in the Heights, right. There's a couple of deals up there right now that are, you know, 1972, 1975 product, but I know that the Heights of Houston, whether it's six, ten, and ten is a hot area. Somebody right. like myself, as I kind of put myself in that, that that shoebox, or say, hey, look, if I move into Houston, where am I living? I'm gonna live in the Heights. Right. Now, do I want necessarily? If I have two product offerings, I have a 2018 Class A for $2,200 a month, or I have your 1973 that has you know really nice interior upgrades, that's for 1,600 a month or 14. I'm probably gonna go that direction. Right. I mean, I save some money. You just increase rents from nine hundred to fourteen hundred bucks a right. month. So locations, everything too. Right. Yeah. Hundred. Hundred uh, percent. Houston's interesting. No zoning, right? Whole city, no zoning. It's crazy. Right? How does that manifest itself? I mean, it, it, it see. I drive. I was just in Houston last week, and it seems like everything works. It, but uh, <laughs> kind of mind-boggling when, you know, we're looking at projects here in San Antonio of, of various types and. Clearly, there's zoning and it's a huge hurdle. On I think I think Houston it, it provides a lot of opportunity and it's, you know, if if you if you study Houston enough, and things that may not seem sexy to some people because they don't understand it can be really sexy to somebody else. So right. if you're not in Houston or you are in Houston, and you know, if you understand Houston, how Houston is laid out, you you understand the the hot pockets, you understand the areas to stay away from, you understand. I mean, you got areas down in Clear Lake. I mean, you got NASA right there. You got people that make yep. six figures. Yep. And so if you know that going into it, you know, not just, oh, it's Houston, I'm out. Oh, what part of Houston is that actually in? Yeah, that's huge. Clear part. Lake. It's a game changer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the consensus on Houston is yeah. that it's extremely, your pockets are extremely important, what, both ways. Absolutely. And then obviously the accessibility too. So finding a, finding a deal that has good accessibility to good highway structure because it takes you a while to get around Houston. That's right. It takes yeah. you 45 minutes to go from you know, point A to point B somewhere. Yep. And um, having knowledge and understanding of that will make the deal a lot more attractive to the right person. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting to see how much, uh, how hot Houston's gotten and talking to some of these guys, like I said, I was out there recently and uh, interesting to see. All of Texas. Texas on fire. Everybody's hey. moving to Texas. That's right. Great. Helps, helps me. Helps you. Um, this is awesome. If somebody wants to connect with you guys, learn about what Gage does, maybe talk to you guys about a project, how do they do that, James? I'd love to talk to you guys. Uh, GageMultiFamily.com is our website. Um, we got a great, you know, great setup there as far as just pictures and some of the projects that we've done. Um, you can reach out to myself at James.Sermons at GageMultiFamily.com. 
Um, again, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to engage early as early as possible. Um, just look at your deal, get a better understanding for it, understanding how your team, you know, you and your team work. Uh, I think that's critical. But then just, you know, work with you through the process, work with you through, work with you through the budgeting and through the due diligence all the way, you know, through execution. Yeah, love it. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. James, thanks for coming on, man. It's great to catch up. Really appreciate you sharing your uh, experience with the audience here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.